This is the Tribune Audio Network. This is the Backstory Podcast. I'm Larry Potash, and on this show, we uncover the backstory behind some of the most intriguing tales in history, culture, science, religion, and more. Now, in this episode, we'll dive into the tale of Elizabeth Smith Friedman, who was this Quaker school teacher from Indiana who got really bored, and she ends up finding a new job, which leads her to hacking codes used by the Nazis and the mob. It's a truly remarkable journey that starts like something out of a movie with a chance encounter with an eccentric millionaire. And much of her story has been buried by secrecy and sexism for nearly a century until now. Let's get into the backstory of the code smasher, Elizabeth Smith Friedman. A Quaker school teacher from Indiana, Elizabeth Smith loved literature, but she was bored, restless, and ready for risks. She hopped a train to Chicago and visited the Newberry Library to see a 300-year-old book. She asked a librarian about jobs in literature or research. Moments later, a six-foot-four man with a gray beard pulled up in a limo. He didn't just offer her a job, it was an adventure, and together they would change history. George Fabian took her to his estate in Geneva. Her mission? Solve a mystery in a rare Shakespeare volume from 1623. While wealthy men spent their money on trips to Paris or fancy automobiles, Fabian spent his on research. He thought he could find the secret to immortality, but author Jason Fagoni says he was most passionate about a secret Shakespeare code. Fabian was attracted to this story because it was the kind of thing that Fabian loved. It was big, it was flashy, it was the kind of thing that would rewrite history if it, if it were true. He could go out and pitch it, he could sell it, he could tell a story. He was really uh, like a Barnum-esque kind of salesperson at heart. Well, let's go back in time to the Fabian Estate, 1916. Frank Lloyd Wright designed the estate overlooking the Fox River and 300 acres that included a windmill Lighthouse, Egyptian throne, a Japanese garden, Roman pool. Monkeys roamed the grounds, and there were two grizzly bears named Tom and Jerry. According to Elizabeth Smith, Thomas Edison visited the estate. So did President Teddy Roosevelt, and Hollywood stars like Billy Burke, who played Glinda the Good Witch in The Wizard of Oz. And more than a century later, Riverbank Estate still stands. Vivian Lasker runs the estate. George Fabian was a character, sort of larger than life. He definitely had a lot of eclectic interests. He inherited millions from his father, who owned one of the biggest textile companies in the country. Fabian used his fortune for research, everything from acoustics to agriculture. He even pursued a levitation machine, which was inspired by the writings of Francis Bacon, which leads us to the most mysterious part of Riverbank. Fabian believed Bacon was the real author of Shakespeare's plays, and the writings included messages from Bacon written in code. Why is a good question. He really, I think, just thought it was interesting. Uh, he was really sold on the idea that Sir Francis Bacon had written the Shakespeare plays and that it was, you know, all the big conspiracy theory. So he got a team of people together to work on uh, code breaking to study those texts um, and look for secret hidden messages. Elizabeth Gallup was in charge of the project, deciphering 300-year-old texts. 
What did she find? She said the secrets troubled her Christian conscience. Deception, adultery, and blackmail. One supposed message from Bacon was deciphered as, Queen Elizabeth is my true mother. She insisted all her life that she could see these messages and, and that they were telling a, a story about how Francis Bacon had sort of been the uh, bastard child of, of royalty and he had to keep this secret to uh, preserve his life and he smuggled it into these famous plays. She claimed the code was revealed in slight variations in the shapes of letters in the 1623 printing of Shakespeare's plays, a rare volume George Fabian found at the Newberry Library in Chicago. Mrs. Gallup taught Elizabeth Smith what she had managed to decipher from Shakespeare. While she worked on breaking the code, the Quaker poet from Indiana fell in love with a Jewish scientist from Pittsburgh who was also working at the estate. William Friedman would eventually become her husband. Together, they studied the codes and in time realized there was no code at all and that Mrs. Gallup was simply deceiving herself. The reason that she erred is because she didn't have a real system. Uh, and a system for discovering secret messages that really are there is exactly what Elizabeth Friedman and William Friedman developed at Riverbank uh, in their early 20s uh, after being exposed to this kind of wild goose chase that Fabian and Gallup had led them into. Elizabeth and William thought about leaving Riverbank, but then another adventure. America was at war, and strangely enough, the government had no code breakers. All that there was, really, was this group of kind of crazy Shakespeare investigators out at Riverbank outside of Chicago, working under the largesse of this uh, Gilded Age uh, insane person, George Fabian. And so, uh, out of desperation, the U.S. Army went to George Fabian and said, can we borrow your Shakespeare experts and have them break codes for us for military use? And George Fabian said, yes. Riverbank Labs, Geneva, Illinois, became America's headquarters for stealing secrets about German troop movements and the location of enemy ships. And these messages would be sent out to the Illinois Prairie from Washington, D.C. in mailbags. Elizabeth and William would open them up and they would have to figure out what they said. As crazy as that sounds, that's really how the National Security Agency was born. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. During Prohibition, Elizabeth Smith Friedman helped capture Al Capone's deputies who were using codes to transport liquor. The Friedmans, after World War I, moved to Washington, D.C. Elizabeth didn't want to be a codebreaker anymore, but she was simply too good at what she did uh, for the government to leave her alone. In the 1920s, Elizabeth Smith Friedman traveled to San Francisco to advise customs agents about rum runners. She was able to decipher their secret messages. When prohibition was repealed, gangs started smuggling drugs there from China. She didn't speak Mandarin, but she was able to crack the Chinese codes. She tackled what were essentially global crime networks, global crime syndicates. 
some of these rum networks had fleets of ships that were larger than the navies of countries. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Elizabeth attended President Roosevelt's speech. Eighteen days later, the Nazis opened the first concentration camp. She cracked 4,000 Nazi codes and helped catch the infamous Nazi spy Johann Siegfried Becker. The FBI really wanted to get him. They were not able to get him until Elizabeth broke the codes on his radio circuits and essentially mapped his entire network. It led to the downfall of 33 Nazi spies, the largest spy roundup in America. It helped destroy uh, a very real threat to the Allies uh, in South America from Nazi intelligence, and yet Elizabeth never got credit for it because Jagger Hoover uh, stole the credit. Her work and the work of her husband helped improve J. Edgar Hoover's FBI and establish the CIA and NSA. Despite stealing secrets to protect America, she was largely overshadowed by her husband. He considered her every bit his equal, in fact, his superior. He, he thought that she was a better codebreaker than him. And there were also men around her who were malevolent, who stole credit from her, men like J. Edgar Hoover, who did it because they knew that they could get away with it. During the McCarthy era, the NSA sent agents to the Freedmen's home. And they took uh, a lot of these files away from their personal library. And if you know the Freedmen's, you know that libraries for them are sacred spaces. They are sacrosanct. And to William especially, this was a kind of a, an unforgivable violation. As revenge, the Freedmen's gave their remaining documents not to the Library of Congress, but to a private foundation in Virginia, which helped make Jason Fagoni's book possible, The Woman Who Smashed Codes. For her, it was fun. And all her life, she got a kick, a, a thrill, out of seeing a hidden message appear where no message had existed before. She loved that moment when she could see the message for the first time, appear out of the fog. For her, it was one of the greatest things in the world. Thanks for listening to Backstory. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute to subscribe to our podcast or leave a review. To watch our full coverage of this story and see some that didn't make it to the podcast, visit us online at WGNTV.com slash Backstory. This has been a production of the Tribune Audio Network.